Welcome back to Faith Seeking Understanding. I'm your host, John Green, and the pastor, or senior pastor, or whatever, at um, Christ Anglican Church in Asheville. You're listening to Faith Seeking Understanding on WGNW 95.7 The Choice, or 95.7thechoice.com, if you're listening on the web. That's the best way to find it. So, uh, we're talking tonight, we're going to spend some time at least talking tonight, about the... Um, the issues that were going on with Chick-fil-A, the things that uh, have captured the attention of the news media and have really um, captured everybody's attention. I think most people that I've talked to certainly are, are well aware of what's going on and and have opinions about what went on and, and why this is going on. And again, I think it's a tempest in a teapot because largely Dan Cathy, all he said was is that he affirms traditional marriage as the um, the appropriate expression of marriage, and I think we all indeed do agree with that. At least most of our listeners on the G and W would agree with that, and wouldn't be scandalized by that in any way. In fact, we would probably be scandalized if if, if he said he was a Christian and he affirmed some other form of marriage. Um, I've had a lot of thoughts about this, and, and and thinking about how did we lose our moral voice, and particularly how did we lose our moral voice with respect to uh, issues like gay marriage. And so I just wanted to spend some time talking about it tonight. A good friend of mine posted this on their Facebook page. It's from Rick Warren. Our culture has accepted two huge lies. The first is that if you disagree with someone's lifestyle, you must fear them or hate them. The second is that to love someone means you agree with uh, everything they believe or do, and both of those are nonsense. You don't have to agree. You don't have to compromise your convictions in order to be compassionate. And again, I just turn up. And again, that's Rick Warren, <laughs> who that's from. And so, what I want to talk about is is that how do we how do we deal with these kinds of issues uh, today? How do we begin to to be sensitive to these issues, but at the same time be able to speak into them? And one of the things that people have been saying was is that it's it's judgmental. It's wrong for us to judge the world. And Paul does indeed say that we're not supposed to judge the world. Uh, that we're supposed to judge the church, that our job, at least, is not to judge the world. And he's right about that. The only uh, other reality about that is is that in this particular instance, I've been asked to make a judgment. I've been asked to approve something, and I've been asked to give my approval to something. And the truth is is that because of my biblical convictions and commitments, I'm really not allowed to give you the judgment that you want. And so when you ask for my approval, really and truly what you're asking me to do is make a judgment on something. I, I didn't volunteer that judgment outside of that request. I'm giving you that judgment simply because you asked me to give that judgment. And the denomination that we came out of, this is exactly what happened in that. And that is that there was a uh, the contingent of people within the church that came forward and said, we want to, um, to, to, to have our, our unions blessed and we want you to, to uh, accept us as we are. And the reality is is that, that I'm not allowed to do that. The Bible doesn't give me the freedom to do that. And people will raise issues like, well, Jesus never said anything about gay marriage. And, and, he, and you know what? He didn't. And it's largely because in the book of Leviticus it says that it's an abomination. And, and let me explain to you what it meant for Jesus to speak to people and how that differs from people speaking to Paul and who Paul's speaking to. When Jesus is speaking to people, almost invariably the people to whom he's speaking are Jews. And so they treated him as though he were a rabbi. Even though they knew that he hadn't been to the rabbinic schools, the way that he talked, 
and the way that he taught and the fact that he had called disciples to himself, people treated him as a respected rabbi. And so when they saw him, they would come and they would ask him questions, just as they would with any rabbi. But they asked questions that had to do with fine points of the law that were not particularly clear. And so the parable of the Good Samaritan, for instance, remember, is told in response to a very particular question. And that question is, who is my neighbor? And when the commandment says you have to love your neighbor, you have to understand that, that those are open statements at some level. What does it mean to love? We've got to answer that. What does it mean to love? And, and what does it mean in, in particular situations? What does it mean to love somebody? And then who is my neighbor? And so that's what the teacher has asked is, is who's my neighbor? And Jesus tells the story of the Good Samaritan. So as a Jewish rabbi, Jesus responded to questions of the law that that were open to interpretation. What does it mean to work on the Sabbath? You know, those kinds of things. So when when he's asked a question, then he responds. And so much of Jesus's teaching has to do with that very issue of he's teaching on things that um, Jewish rabbis would teach on. That's the the whole beginning, the Sermon on the, on the Mount, beginning in Matthew five and going forward. Jesus is expounding on the law. He is teaching on the law. And so he says things like, you've heard it said, do no murder. But the reality is he's going to now reinterpret that, and he's going to tell you that murder is something more than simply taking somebody else's life. It's also hating them. It's also sort of destroying the image of God in them and reducing them to something other than truly human. And so you have killed them in some ways. And then he says, you've heard it said concerning adults, what adultery is. And then he goes on and redefines what that is and said, if you look on lust with a woman, then you've committed adultery with her. So. Those are the kinds of things that Jewish legal scholars, the rabbis, taught on. And the reality is that nobody asked them about things that were very clear in the law. And the, and the law with respect to homosexuality was very clear. And so he didn't teach on that because nobody had to ask him about those things. Paul, on the other hand, remember talking to a Jewish audience or a Gentile audience. The, the people to whom Paul is preaching and teaching are people who don't have the law. And he's not encouraging them at that moment to go and get the Old Testament, learn everything about the Old Testament. Because remember, this is before or during uh, the, the, the writing of the New Testament. And so Paul is, is simply trying to give them a shorthand understanding of things. And that's why in Acts 15, you get the Jerusalem Council, which comes together and said, no, you don't have to teach them everything. Just teach them these few things. And those few things actually had something to do with sexual morality. So. Paul's speaking to a Gentile audience, and they need to understand that the law of God is different from what they see around them. That the pagans, and, and all I mean by that is people who are not followers of Jesus, those people have a different ethic. They have a different morality. That, that godly morality is, is given and directly revealed through the word to the Jews. And so Paul's given them a shorthand of the things that they see around them. The, the morality that affects them in their situation that they would look at and say, in my world, that's normal. But Paul's saying, not in God's world. That's not normal. And so he talks about a great many things. And he, when he talks about people being humble, when he talks about them being meek, when Jesus talks about those things, those are countercultural values. But they're God's values. And so humility is a godly value, even though it's in large measure something the world doesn't have great value for. And so when when 
when Paul is speaking to Gentiles, he's trying to instruct them on those things that are important in the law, those things that affect their daily lives because the morality and the ethics that they have seen and experienced and probably bought into in their lives, their own worldview, is at odds with what God has said. And so Paul is speaking to specific um, situations, and a sexual ethic was a problem even then. So maintain, maintaining a biblical sexual ethic was never a matter of uh, what the world did. And so when Paul mentions it in the situations in particular in which Paul writes about sexual ethics issues, he is always talking to a culture where there's a deviation from what God has already revealed. And so he's telling them to refrain from these things. And so that's why Paul writes about it, and Jesus doesn't say anything about it, and we don't see it in his teaching. But, but Jesus is very clear when they ask him about divorce, for instance, he, he refers back to Genesis 2. And he refers back to, in, you know, when God originally created men and women, there was a marriage thing that was supposed to be, and it was between a man and a woman, and, and the man was supposed to leave his parents and then cleave to his wife, and so they're going to be one flesh. And... The commandment is to be fruitful and multiply for those uh, who have chosen marriage. And so there's never really been an issue within the, within the Judeo-Christian ethical community of what's acceptable. So Paul's speaking to that other community. And there was no real reason for God to say much about it. In, uh, in the law, there didn't need to be, you know, what, 75 different laws about it because it was very straightforward. There are other laws that are very straightforward like that. Now, the opposite mistake to that is specializing in in uh, homosexuality as far as your little hobby horse on, on which you're going to teach and speak on a regular basis because that sin, frankly, is no worse than any other sin. And we talked about filthy sinners and the way the street preachers were <coughs> were saying things last uh, weekend at Bell Share, and and the truth is, I am a filthy sinner, because I'm filled with all kinds. Of, I mean, I've, I've got pride problems, and and you know a whole bunch of other things that I have to deal with on on an hourly basis when I see these things creeping into my life, into my conversation, and so I, I can see these things in my own life, and those sins are no better, no worse, whatever you however you want to say it, from uh, any other sin. Sin is sin, period. But at the end of the day, when you ask me to approve something that God has said is sinful behavior, then we have a problem because I cannot approve it. I cannot lay hands on that and bless that. I can't say it's good when God says it wasn't because if I do, then what I've said is if, if, it's not a, if I say it's not a sin and God says that it is, then what I've done is I have denied Jesus' sacrifice. I have denied the fact that, that my sins need atoning for. And the reality is the more that I hide from him, the, the less of myself I'm willing to give him and the less of him I'm going to receive. Because if I won't give him all the unclean stuff in my life, then I can't receive more of him. And so in our lives, we need to be aware that confession is good for us because it's good for us because when we agree with God, that's what the word means originally, confess, it means we agree with God about the nature of our own sin. And so when we confess our sins, then he is faithful to forgive us our sins. And is there anything more precious on earth than truly being forgiven of your sins? And so, but we don't get 
forgiveness if we don't confess. And so what we've said is, is that, Jesus, I'm going to keep these things from you. I so treasure these things that I don't want any more of you. I prefer this to you, this to your sacrifice. And so when I do that, then I keep a part of my heart, a part of my life apart from him. We do that in in all kinds of things in our lives. Um, We have to get to the place in our own lives where we're willing to confess. We're willing to deal with all the sin in our lives, all the pride in our lives, all the, the lust, all the, you know, just the hatreds, the angers and all that in our lives in order that we can have more and more of him. And we can then begin to display the fruits of the spirit in our life. And God can work through us more powerfully and more easily the more of ourselves that we stop cherishing, that we stop holding on to, and we stop allowing to get between us and him. doesn't mean we're not Christians, but it does mean we're settling for less. We're settling for less of him in order to have more of me. And that's a problem. And so when we ask God or others to bless sin in our lives, then then. We're asking for others to make judgments about those things, and we do it on a regular basis. And so the problem with this whole Chick-fil-A thing is they're at, they actually asked Dan Cathy about it. And when you ask about it, then, well, you are going to hear my opinion. Um, he could have avoided it. He could have not said anything. But I don't think he said anything wrong in saying that he supported um, traditional marriage. There's no hate speech in that. There's no hate intended in that. There is simply... Uh, the reality that we as Christians do have a sexual morality and ethics that have been given to us not from internally, not the way I feel about anything, because I don't like to tell people that what they're doing is wrong. In fact, I like it better when God tells me what's wrong in my life than I do having to tell other people. I don't often extend judgment to other people in that way. But So we've got to be careful about it. We can't make that our particular sin that we really specialize in and, and bash. But the other side of it is is that society right now is asking the Christian community to make a particular judgment on this issue. And they're asking us to weigh in on the matter. And the fact is, as Rick Warren says, the culture has accepted two lies. The first is that if you disagree with someone's lifestyle, you must fear or hate them. That's that homophobia thing. The second is if you love that to love somebody means you have to agree with everything they believe or do. And he says both those statements are nonsense. You don't have to compromise convictions to be compassionate. And compassion is indeed the issue. It's the thing that we have to come back to is, is that how do I feel about this? I feel very compassionate about it because um, it's an unfulfilled desire. It's a desire that has to be frustrated in order to truly follow God and to walk according to his ways. But there are other desires in our lives that have to be dealt with in the same way. And so tonight, one of the things I want to talk about uh, in the next little segment has to do with what does the Bible have to say about desire and the gratification of those desires? And how do we begin to think through those kinds of ethical and moral issues through biblical lens? And this is not so that I can judge or condemn somebody else's sin. It's so that my eyes are further open to the sin in my own life, and I can begin to deal with those things in my life. And so now what I want to do is we'll continue listening to uh, Reckless Mercy, and this track is called Turning Over Tables from their CD. When, when will you learn? You keep making the same mistakes. 
over and over again. See, can't you see that I can't do anything until you give up the fight? Yeah. Until you give up.